Let us go to the word. And before that, we'll once again look up and look to him. The author and the finisher of our faith. faith. What he began, only he can finish, only he can perfect. So let's once again surrender our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our entire being to him and say, Father, the shepherd of our souls, come, Lord Jesus, speak to us. Teach us. Take control. We are here, Lord, to be taught of you. And I pray, though I speak, I pray what your children hear and receive will be only what you speak through me. Let everything else fall to the ground and fade away from their minds. But what you speak is life. Let it remain. Let it become their life, Lord. Speak peace into every heart, rest into every soul, and healing into every body. Let the strength of the Lord be your portion, for he is faithful. For the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, is also the one who said, I am the one who is true and faithful, who has the keys of Death and Hades. So Father, it's to you we come. Speak to us, teach us once again, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. The past few nights, especially the past few nights, we're having different sections on morning and night. But the past few nights, those of you who have been regularly following, you know we've been, I've been, I mean, believe led by the Lord for young leaders because I believe all of you will one day when situations change become house cell leaders when all this freedom is taken away and God is preparing us. I'm setting the fundamentals of faith of our salvation. So those who are is hearing to somebody probably God is saying you need to take those messages and not make transcripts, okay? I'm not talking about transcription. You need to be able to edit it so that one day we have it in the form of a book. For that, you need to be good in English first. You need to be good in uh, your word, that you understand what you are hearing. Third, you are able to take it away from this format that is being spoken and put it into the format as of a book. Okay, so somebody has heard, and I know you'll get back to me, okay, because I won't do it. (laughs) My wife has been after me for eight years, and not even one line has come out that way. Okay, so we've been setting the fundamentals of uh, salvation. Repent, believe, and be baptized, and we are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is in Jesus Christ and his work alone, nothing else. All the days of our life, even post-salvation, salvation is only in the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the greatest sin in the world is a sin of unbelief, where we are not, where don't we believe in the work of God. We also saw the difference between the Old Testament, New Testament, the law that came through Moses, 
and grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. One is a shadow and the other, Jesus Christ, is the substance. We also saw that Jesus came to fulfill the law so that he could save all who are kept captive by sin under the law. He destroyed death. So we saw the, the principle in First Corinthians. So we don't have to go there. 56, law, sin, and death. We also saw, I think, last night or maybe before, he fulfilled the law in different ways. One, by his birth, he was born of woman under the law to save those who were under the law. <clears throat> he kept the law by his life. Perfectly sinless from the beginning till the end. That's why he had to be born of woman of God. So that he was not born in sin or shaped in iniquity. He was sinless when he was born like Adam. But he had the same body. So he was tempted at all points but did not sin. So he's, he fulfilled the law by his birth, by his life. We saw he fulfilled the, he, the law by his death. Curse is the man who hangs on a tree. And anyone who doesn't keep the works of the law is cursed. So he became cursed for us. He took our sin. He who did not know sin became sin for us. Okay, But he didn't stop there. If he had stopped there, then death would have been more powerful. So he had to defeat death too. So scripture says, he rose again on the third day. So repentance is primarily repenting from all our sins and all our efforts under the law for our salvation and believe in him and him alone. So both those who think know they are sinners have to repent and also those who think they are righteous both have to repent because both works lead to death. That's why repentance from dead works or works that lead to death. And then when we put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, because repentance comes first. Remember, repentance comes first. You cannot believe without, uh, without uh, repenting. It does not work. You repent and you believe. You get rid of all this baggage. Say, Lord, I don't put my trust in it at all. And I put my trust only in you. And then God declares us just, not forgiven, just as if he never, ever sinned. He takes our sin puts it on his son, spiritual exchange takes place, puts his son's righteousness, which was the righteousness of God, and puts it on. That is in simple format the only way for salvation. So we are declared just or righteous by the by God, the judge of all flesh. Okay, Remember, that's how he is declared in the book of Genesis, the first book. And then he says, the most important part in our current teaching, after that, those who have been justified or righteous, they shall live by faith. I shall put only there by brackets. And like Paul says, I also believe I have the Spirit of God. They shall live only by faith. No other life is acceptable to God. Okay? No other life is acceptable to God. From faith unto faith. <clears throat> now we're going to that one part that we miss. Okay? In Romans 8... <coughs> Verses 1 to 4, and from there we will take further. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When I got saved, you got saved, everyone who heard or hearing got saved, God took us and put us in Christ Jesus. Now we are hidden in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, <coughs> you are under no condemnation. How do I know I am under in Christ Jesus? Because my works will show. The works of a man hidden in Christ 
and the works of a man who is not hidden in Christ is shown by the works and the works are different who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit okay that's how you know whether i am hidden in Christ or whether i am not hidden in Christ okay now we may say how does anybody know well god knows and the devil knows god knows and the devil knows in the second and third realm nothing is hidden nothing is hidden that's what the sons of skiva suddenly realized seven people were trying to use deliverance like a mantra in the name of jesus whom paul preaches and the demons paul was nowhere around there i don't know how many hundreds of kilometers he was away the demons said jesus we know paul we know and they are both i know paul is hidden in christ when he says get out we get out but who are you guys okay second third realm there is nothing that is hidden so when we say repent and believe this is a continuous process all our life because we have this habit because we are living sacrifices and not dead sacrifices we have this habit of getting off the altar we quietly crawl off the altar or jump off the altar so we have to keep on getting back on the altar that is is repenting and getting back and staying there safe okay so the holy spirit will show the spirit of god and the spirit the demonic so the holy spirit will show not to condemn us but to protect us say say you know this is there that is exposing you to the other realm which will have power over you well you should have power over them you should have dominion over you but if you don't they will tempt you take you to sin and instead of you having dominion over sin because you are under grace sin will have dominion over you so instead of justifying we repent that's what's the problem with Saul whenever god tried to speak to him he kept trying acting very nice oh have obeyed the instructions of the lord he said no you have in obeyed you can't fool to a prophet of god you have in obeyed all he had to say i goofed up like no like david did no don't cover up but acknowledge and god the blood of jesus confesses so this is a continuous process so here you look at verse 2 for the law of spirit of life in christ jesus has made me from the law of sin of the two laws are being shown there in verse 2 if you are living by the flesh then you are living by the law of sin and death immediately the law starts operating what is the law of sin and death any man who is under the law law awakens sin sin brings death that is the law okay given through moses so there are two laws one is the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus what is the law i call it the law of faith that's the law of faith faith unto faith that sets you free from the law of sin and death because if you are walking by faith it is the life of christ jesus and god says that's enough that's enough you're perfect in that area doesn't matter what people say it's irrelevant my life of my son is always acceptable to me okay if you have any doubt take a look up and you will see the son is sitting on my right hand side approval power strength salvation everything that life acceptable and every time you walk by faith you are seated in him in my right hand so there are two laws over there one is the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus that sets you free or if you're walking in the flesh you're going back to the old law which becomes brings condemnation okay law of sin and death one is the law of the spirit it's called the law of the spirit and it's the spirit of life the other is the law of sin and death how do you have no sin by the law law brings in the more you study the law more you are aware of your sins okay now if you go quickly to galatians chapter 3 verses 1 and 
That's what Paul was talking about. You foolish Galatians, Bevakuf, who bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you. What is the truth? Why did you step out from the law of the spirit to the law of sin and death again? I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit? Now they're talking about the spirit because the spirit will only take you in the law of the spirit by faith. Why did you leave that and step, go back into the law which only brings judgment and condemnation? Understand these two laws? So this is what we need to understand. One is the law of the spirit, which is the life of faith. And the other is the law of sin and death. Don't go back to that. That's why hearing is so important. Okay, And each one of us, though we have common hearing, we have different hearing too. Because the spirit will speak to us through the same word, but touch us where we are struggling. Maybe the same message and different people go off with different, not interpretations, hearing different things from the spirit because the spirit is telling you, this is the area you will run into condemnation. Okay, You will run into trouble. You will go into flesh and the other thing will start bringing condemnation. So quickly repent of it and get back inside. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Yeah, not forget a foothold. Don't even give him a toehold. So how does it happen? And go back to Romans chapter 8. How does it happen? We'll read 3 and 4, but actually 4 is the most important words here. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 3 is talking about what Christ did, the first four things I talked about. Born of a woman, born under the law, kept the law by his life, kept the law by his death, and left resurrection. All that is verse 3. And verse 4 is what he does through us. That is the important man. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled, Okay, now you get it? Christ fulfilled the law. Now Christ continues to fulfill the law in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is why Jesus said, law will not pass away. I have come to fulfill the law. Heaven and earth will pass away, law will not. So when is the law irrelevant? It will be only in the new creation because nobody needs the law then. Everybody has been transformed, conformed in the image of Christ Jesus. This body of sin has been taken away. You get a new glorified body in which there is no flesh. Satan has been thrown, all of that causes temptation, everything, all that is evil has been put in the lake of fire. So it is an entirely different ball game. Revelation 21 onward. Till then the law will remain. But we are fulfilling the law. We are not keeping the law. Keeping the law is the letter of the law under the, this thing. We don't go there at all because you come down to condemn it. But when you walk by faith, you fulfill the law. So Jesus did not go by the letter of the law and the Pharisees were very mad. Your master is doing this. And all the kind of things he did it on Sabbath was literally to under, make them understand the letter of the law of Sabbath, your interpretation is wrong. I am keeping the Sabbath by the Spirit. Okay? Spirit. Okay, so that's where we have to understand. That's why he said the law does not. So Jesus fulfilled and we also. And when we live by faith, we are fulfilling the spirit of the law. It is the spirit of God living the life of Jesus Christ through us. That's, see, these are all secrets, mysteries, which God revealed to a man who was looking for it. It was through Paul. It is not through John or Peter or James or anybody. These mysteries were revealed through this man. Okay, so it doesn't matter how you begin your race or when you began your race. Okay, he didn't begin his race well. 
Unlike the other apostles, he began terribly persecuting the Christians. And he was very young and much later than all these apostles. But he went miles ahead of them. If you turn to Galatians chapter 2, because his life, uh, his life is a very strong, what do you call it? Source of encouragement. People like him, people like Moses who goofed up in the beginning, like Jacob who goofed up in the beginning. All these goofies are very, very good examples for us. They goofed up really, really bad. It's not normal. Really goofed up bad in the beginning. But they all finished extremely well. All these three people, if you look at it, no, people like Daniel and all and uh, Joseph and all give us a complex. Okay, okay. But these people like them, they really, really encourage us. So you go there, yeah, Galatians 2 and verse 20. This is the whole secret of what Paul is. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay? It is no longer I who live. He says, I died with Christ, I rose with Christ. I died. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, meaning in this body. I'm living in this body. I'm not talking about any out-of-body experience or anything. No, this is not uh, any one of that thing. This is real, normal life I'm living in this body. I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he understood what this life was, which is absolutely, totally acceptable before Christ. Perfect before Christ, because it is a life of Christ Jesus. You hear, you believe, you understand, you obey, and God, that's my son living. We use that word vicariously through so many people. And then the devil also speaks, people hear, and they obey. And the devil also loves vicariously. So that's why they are called the sons of disobedient. And the pure and efficient too, the powers of... Uh, the spirit of the power of air. He was controlling their minds and their bodies were given up for his. And no, that's how the two sons walking on earth, the sons of disobedience and the sons of obedience. And they are getting more and more and more and more wicked. And one side is getting better and better and better and better. And God says, let it be. In Revelation 21, let it be. Both, one, a different spirit is working. Here, a different spirit is working. Okay? Here, one spirit alone is working. Here, different spirits are working. So, one fellow goes, brings seven others. They get more and more wicked. Okay? That's what's happening. So, please understand. That's why uh, we preach so much on faith. People will ask, why do we preach so much on faith? Because no other life is acceptable. No other life is acceptable. Okay, but please, every time you study or even hear uh, a message, pray like Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. It's very important we pray like that. Humble yourself before God and say that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. It's very important that we pray like that, that we need wisdom, we need knowledge, Above all, we need a revelation. Okay? Don't study like the way you would do it in school. Don't work. With God, it does not work. School, you can do a lot of hard work. The kingdom of God, hard work is involved. But if God doesn't reveal, all the hard work goes waste. So, hard work should supplement your faith. Hard work should not substitute your faith. Please understand this. Okay?
revelation. And also like don't use scholastic methods to study. A lot of people ask me, how do you study the Bible? Okay, there are different ways which are all good. But if you ask me how do I study the Bible, I will say by faith. <laughs> That's how I study the Bible. Regular format is there. You need to have the regular format. But beyond that, you need to have a format which is designed for you by God, by faith. Like if you want to study on on faith, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to open the Bible, keep my concordance and study about faith according to the concordance. I'm telling you, Sometimes it will be a total goof up. Like if you look at Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20, the first time the word faith is mentioned in the Bible. And if you're going to start like that, you will shut there itself. I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. Bang, my Lord, I don't want to study about faith. Let me pick another topic. It's like the fool has said, there is no God. He closes. Then he opens another portion, speak to me. You also go and do likewise. Okay, you can't study like that. Okay, you can't study like that. This is the first time in the Bible the word faith is mentioned. Okay, so you can't study like that. Okay, you can. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Let the Lord, why I say sometimes it works, it's because the first time the word priest is used in the Bible is in Exodus when Joseph, uh, Moses runs and he marries Jethro's daughter, Zephorah, who's called the priest of Midian. That's the first time before that you will know Joseph married the priest, uh, Egyptian priest's daughter. But other than that, priest first really typically has a, this thing, position is mentioned, is Jethro. After that you hear that uh, God's desire for Israel is that you shall be a kingdom of priests for me. And you follow that format and do a priestly study, you will understand okay so sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work okay so let god guide you do your overall study but also here but before you study anything in the in the kingdom of god first establish the importance of anything you choose to give your attention okay like I typically, when I advise young kids, school kids, when they are going, starting, this is how I used to advise my kids, my school kids, all of them, everywhere. I would tell them like, no, in your school, you may have eight subjects, and I have forgotten how many subjects that are in school, okay, eight or nine or ten subjects, okay. All subjects are not equally important. When you are starting, focus on two subjects. One is English, the other is math. These two subjects really focus well. Because every other subject when you go up higher is a combination of English and math. After 10, you can make your options. But many people choose options because they are weak in English. If you are very good in English, you can understand your subject. A lot of people struggle with science and economics and commerce is that when they hear the language is so weak, they are not able to understand concepts. Your language is strong, like honestly, I'm not very strong, but pretty strong in English. I can understand almost any subject. Economics, no problem. I never did economics. I can. History, no problem. Commerce, no. The fundamentals of this, what is being there, you can get it because your language is strong. So English it's a universal language, the most universal language. It's got nothing to do with the British. We have more English-speaking people in India than anywhere in the world. So it's not their language. It should be called English. It's our language now, okay? Okay, or Manglish, Tinglish, whatever you want to call it, okay? So one is your language, whichever language you choose to. The other is math. 
What is physics? English and math. What is chemistry? English and math. What is economics? English and math. What is commerce? English and math. History only English. Geography, English, math comes in. Graphs and this thing. So you realize, even when you are going on, when you are training your children, train them on two subjects. Two subjects. When they are very small. Understand as parents the importance of their subjects. English and math. And after that, as they go in, as God is guiding them, they will pick their subjects and go. But they will be able to generally do well in any area they choose because foundations are strong. So whenever you study the Bible to give your attention to what is important in the kingdom of God. So we'll go to 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 for people, it is new. Now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of this is love. Abide means it will last. Okay? The greatest of these is love. One of the reasons love is called the greatest is is because when uh, Jesus comes, faith and hope will go. You don't need faith anymore. You don't need hope anymore. So in one way, it is not saying that love is greater than faith. Okay? One way is that you don't need faith and hope anymore. So the greatest here is love. So I will put love one, faith two, hope three. Okay? But in terms of importance, I will put faith one. Because without genuine faith, you cannot even receive the love of God in which we need to function. Because it's the love of man, my love, and there is the love of God which I receive from God. It is the love of God. Okay? Okay, the love for God and the love of God, like the zeal for God and the zeal of God are two different things, okay? To receive that love of God, constantly walk in it. I need faith. I need faith. So I, in terms of importance, greatest love, importance for a man, child of God, I would put as, as faith, okay? It's very, very, very important. If you are upset with my statement, then okay, love number one, very close to number one, uh, faith. Okay, we have done an entire series on love and we'll continue someday. So the most important right now in this studies have, is faith. And we have established the importance of faith. Okay, Hebrews, Ephesians 2, 8 says, we are saved by grace. Grace is from God, but God can have a billion gallons of grace. But if I have no faith, I cannot receive it. You may have 10 lakh in the account, but you are stuck in your house, not unable to go, and you don't have online facility. All your money is stuck there. All stuck there. You have no online platforms which you were engaging into received sent money. What's the point? So you need faith. Okay, you need faith. In Hebrews 4, 2, we know about the first generation. Yeah, quickly we'll go there. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Everybody has heard the gospel. Okay, including Abraham. But the word they heard did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Okay, the gospel is the gospel of grace. Both to the Israelites and to the Gentiles. All of us, it was the same gospel always. God never changed his gospel. The gospel was always the gospel of grace. But because they did not receive it faith, it was of no use. 
Okay, so we are establishing the importance of faith. Then in Hebrews 10 and verse 38, we have to establish, okay, step by step I am establishing. Now, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him, will be not be pleased in him. So don't take it lightly. If we draw back, God is not pleased. First Corinthians 10.5, after giving the whole list about how much he had given to Israel, at the end, scripture says, with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So what happens to people if you do not please God with your faith? You wander and die in life. You wander and die in the, you never possess your inheritance. You never overcome. You may make it through the flames, but you in heaven, you will realize you lost everything. Okay, your, your salvation is there. That's only one thing you believed. The blood of the lamb and got out. But after that, nothing. So don't take faith lightly. If God is not pleased with you, then you will die a wanderer. Next premise I have to establish is we have to be absolutely sure what faith is and what way faith is not. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. We saw that very clearly. Faith has very deep convictions. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Okay, we know it well, but let me make one statement here. Faith is not hope. And hope is not faith. You see that? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But faith is not hope. And hope is not faith. Yet there is hope in faith. And there is faith in hope. But they are not the same. They are not the same. If you look at Paul's journey and in his letters, you will say, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on, I'm praying. Not that I've already achieved. You know what he's talking? It's hope. It's all hope. It's not faith. It's hope. But in that hope, there is faith. Okay? But in when he ends his life and in Second Timothy chapter 4, 7, he says, I have finished my race. I've kept the faith. It's not hope. It's faith. Absolutely clear, I am waiting for. Okay? So you have to see the difference between hope and faith. Right now we are all in the hope journey. Okay? Hope journey. When does hope become faith? It's when you have heard. Clearly. Yes, it's done. It's a done matter. That's when hope becomes. Hope becomes. Abraham and Sarah are hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping. And then one God says, so this time next year, according to the time of woman, you're going to have a child. And I have a child. Very clear. Absolutely established. Okay? So you may hope. Okay? You may hope to get a good job. It's a good hope. But one day God will say, it's a done deal. And then you know, just looking around, where's the job coming from? It's coming from somewhere. It's coming from somewhere. He's already spoken. Okay? So faith and hope are not the same, though both are there. Faith is being absolutely sure of what God speaks. Okay. Romans 10 17 will tell you another premise about faith. How you get it. Okay. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you go to Romans 10 9 and 10, it will add a few more. You hear, you believe, you confess. Okay. There is hearing, there is believing, and there is confessing. I hear and what I've heard, I have believed. 
and my belief, my hearing and my confession goes into one line. Okay, that's one more has to be added to that which James will bring in. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 and 26. Thus also by faith, if he does not have works, he's dead. You heard, you believed, you spoke, and there is a work associated with that. One particular work associated with that. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And verse 26 will say, as a body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay, I heard the gospel. Let us say, I heard the gospel. Repent. Believe. I heard. Confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus Christ. I heard. Repented. And in repented, there's a lot of work, okay? A lot of work. Repented. Believed. And then there is another work which I do. That is called baptism. It's a work of faith. It's a work of faith. That's why God is very clear. Repent, believe and be. And baptism is an absolutely physical work. You cannot imagine you got baptized and come out. No, it's a physical work. You need to go into the water and dunk, get yourself dung down into the water full and come out. Okay? So it is a work. So there is hearing, there is believing, there is confessing, and there is a work. So understand how faith works. Okay? We are establishing the, the preliminary premises of, of faith. And then, what does faith do? We already saw we are saved by grace through faith. But Romans 5.2 gives us a standard procedure for day-to-day life. Through whom? Through Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's a daily thing. Every day God gives you the grace for that day. But how do you access? By faith. Okay, That's what the manna they ate and the water they drank every day. Don't keep manna for tomorrow. Tomorrow's will come tomorrow. Just, just believe. Just trust me. Just get up in the morning. Trust me. Go out. It will be there. You have to believe. In him, we access grace every day. Okay? Not just for getting saved. Grace for living. Okay? And what is the grace? That's the power of the, That's why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace. Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Okay, quickly we go through, I'm, ex- I'm explaining the, what are we studying? Why is faith so important? His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, so what is his divine power? It is grace. Let us put it in this place, his divine power. We will put grace. As his grace has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything. A believer needs for this life. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And then verse 4 says you have this incredibly great, great promises in the Bible. So as you're going through the Bible, one promise may jump at you and God is speaking to you. That's your promise. By faith you access my grace using this promise. To you it may be something else. To Pastor Vijay it may be something else. But there are tens and thousands, literally 9,000, 10,000 promises in the Bible. Okay, and through that promises, what do we do? We partake of the very nature of God, divine nature. And we escape. We escape the corruption in this world. Okay, so please remember faith, why it is so, what does faith do? 1 John chapter 5, 4. Was first thing we looked what faith does is, it gives us access to the power of God, the spirit of grace, for life and godliness. 
Next thing, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And how do you overcome? This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. By faith, we do not allow the world to overcome us. That's what happens to all the people who don't understand the fact. But through faith, we overcome the world. That's one of our victory because we have to only overcome us, receive anything in heaven. Okay, salvation is the work of Jesus Christ, but overcomers only get rewards. So one of the things we are called to overcome is the world. How do you overcome the world? By faith. And again, if you turn to quickly to First Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9, and we will kind of have done the fundamentals of faith. Sober, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking. So you have an invisible enemy looking, roaring, roaring, roaring lion, hungry lion looking whom he may devour. Our spiritual enemy, the enemy of our soul. Resist him. How? Steadfast in faith. How do you defeat the enemy? Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. So how do you resist the enemy? Only in faith. You have to be steadfast in faith, continuously. It's a daily battle. It's never going to go away. You'll keep on coming back. If you are one today and you're feeling so good and you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, you realize it's back again. So we overcome the world by faith. We overcome the devil, his kingdom by faith. Okay? The seen kingdom and the unseen kingdom both has to be overcome. So these are the fundamentals of faith. Now let's go further. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. Now we are going to study chronologically faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. All the elders we looked yesterday. What did they first take good testimony they all received? They believed in creation. Verse 3. First thing. Faith, understand the worlds were framed by the world. They all believed in creation. There were no evolutionists among the believers in the Bible. Or even believers. There are no evolutionary believing scientists. They are all creationists. And you will see there is a massive animosity between these two. Not that the creationists hate the evolutionists, but the evolutionists hate creationists. And the problem is the minute you accept creation, along with it comes all morals. If there is a God absolute, then there are absolutes in life. Evolutionary scientists do not want absolutes. Do not want absolutes. Like, simple. Uh, like, if you know, Pastor Dr. Richard will say, all elective surgeries have been postponed. Why? Everything is being kept on for corona Cases, right? U.S. everywhere. But ACLU has gone to court, if I'm right, in Texas, because Texas has uh, taken off abortion from elective surgeries. In the midst, midst of this pandemic, with two-thirds of America shut in, they're going to court to say that we want abortion to be included among necessary surgery. What, what, what surgery is that? Essential services. Abortion. Killing a baby is abortion. You know why you will come with that premise? Because you are an evolutionary scientist and not a creationist. So don't ever take chapter 11, verse 3. It is fundamental to what is happening in this world. Knowing the real God and not knowing God, Him. Okay? 3 is very important. And then we come to verse 4. By faith. Okay, remember everywhere you will read through Hebrews 11, the most important chapter about faith, you will have this call. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Okay? And scripture says, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. So in verse 4, we have the first man of faith being mentioned. Okay? Though he's fourth in human order. Okay? Human order, he's fourth. Adam, Eve, Cain, fourth. But he's the first man to be mentioned in faith history. The other three are not mentioned. Okay? First three are not mentioned. Only the fourth man is mentioned. And he's also the first man to please God. Adam didn't please God. Eve didn't please God. Cain didn't please God. Abel pleased God. So if you look into the book of Hebrews 11, 16 names are mentioned. Okay? Innumerable others are mentioned in terms of reference without their names. And by the way, Joshua is not mentioned. Okay? <laughs> Though he was incredible. Caleb is not mentioned. If I'm right, Caleb is not mentioned. Joshua. So it's just a list. There's so many there. Okay? It's not like uh, we would say, oh, I'm this writer needs to be this thing corrected. I have to make my own list. No, leave it. That's God's list. Okay? He's not saying anything. But uh, by faith, you look over there. Second word we see is sacrifice. There is a sacrifice. Third thing is that he was commended. God testifying of his gifts. And he's received a commendation that he was righteous. If you look at the entire list in Hebrews 11, righteousness is connected with only two people. One is Abel and one is Noah. And nobody else is in different, different works, but righteousness is not added to that. Meaning, this is somehow connected to salvation. Every other person's work was not connection directly with the salvation work. Only with Abel and Noah. Okay, so get these things. So today what we will do is that we shall take our dear Abel, not Abel sitting at home, but our dear Abel of the Bible and put him under this scanner. So we will have to go back to Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 and 6. And all my dear children, you know, oh, I know Abel and Cain's story very well. Chill. Okay, we will go back and recap all the things we have heard. Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. We will leave that alone because there's so much in that. It's a, we are not talking about Adam and Eve and all that. She bore again and this time his brother Abel. Then you have two sons there, Cain and Abel. Not Jeffrey Archer's Cain and Abel. I apologize. The Cain in his Cain, the spelling is K-A-N-E. He went to prison and he died also. Okay. I think he's dead. If you are alive, I, uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Because Abel is dead and he still speaks. You are dead. You are speaking death, not life. She bore again and this time his brother Abel. Abel was the keeper of sheep. Cain was the tiller of ground. So the first two professions are mentioned over there. Farmer and shepherd. Basically. Okay, farm. And if, if you read old stories, it was always a conflict between these two groups. Because one fellow tills the ground and makes something come, the other fellow's animals wants to eat this. So fences will automatically come between, even if they are brothers. Okay? But that's not the case over here, something else. So they are farmer and, and in the process of time, we don't know how long, but in the course of time, it came to pass. Offering time has come, sacrifice has come. They both brought an offering. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. He's the farmer. He brought fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. 
and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Okay, we'll leave all that. We'll leave Cain out of this. We are looking at, at, uh, Abel. Outwardly, they both brought offerings. According to this, if you look at it, it seems according to their profession. But remember Hebrews 11 said, Abel offered by faith. Okay, so it's not outward. Something is there connected with the unseen. So you're offering in the seen realm, you're offering your sacrifice to the one who is unseen. And faith taps into the unseen. So one offered by sight to the unseen, one offered by faith to the unseen. And the word is very interesting. Okay. The word used over there is Lord respected Abel. And I will use the term he looked with favor. Another version, ESV, I think will says he regarded Abel. Okay? Regarded Abel. So if you have to read it very carefully, even if you have heard it so many times, please look at it. The and there is important. The Lord respected Abel and his offering. In verse 5, he did not respect Cain and his offering. Okay. Okay. What does it mean? It means even if Cain had brought blood, he would not have accepted it. Because he's first looking. He's respecting first Cain and Abel and not his offering. He's first looking at Abel. Okay. So there is something there. He regarded Abel first and his offering. If the issue was with the offering alone, it would have been written, God respected and regarded Abel and Cain, but only regarded or respected Abel's offering. Okay? But that's not how it happens. Whatever we do, what I am doing now, what you are doing now, you are all, everybody is offering to God something. Okay? First God looks at the person. Then only he looks at the offering. Okay. That's the nature of God. Okay. First God looks at the person. In first Samuel, very well known verse, 16, verse 7, we will see this principle established by God. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because what is he looking at? That is his offering. They have washed, they have anointed, they want their best robe and they are standing there. Lord, here I am. That's their offering. And he looks at this offering and says, wow, wow, wow. Look at this. This must be surely God's anointed. He's looking at the offering. Looking at his offering. Okay. And then what happens? No, no, no. That's enough. The Lord does not, does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the Heart. So when scripture says God respected Abel, God looks into his heart. He's looking at his heart. God was looking into his heart. And when he looked into his heart, God had favor on Abel. He regarded Abel. He respected his heart. The, the, the whatever was in his heart, God respected. So please remember, God looks at the heart first. The most important lesson you will learn from Hebrews chapter 11 is this one. 
when God looks at anything that we bring to him, he doesn't look at what we bring first. He looks at us first. People will look at us what we are bringing. Bringing. Okay. No. God is looking at us first. Okay. So we'll dig deeper. We'll only look at that today. We'll dig deeper. We we have seen over and over again this mystery of threes in the Bible. God is one, Exodus has three, right? We see these three realms, third heaven, second heaven, and this material realm. And we look at time. We are caught here in time. is caught in three zones. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, past, present, future. And then when the tabernacle is made, temple is made, outer courts, holy place, most holy place, When before Israel is divided into two, they have three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, talking about three different anointings. Okay, so many things are there. The three days of Jesus Christ and three, 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 after three days, after the so, no, after Abraham, after three days, so Mount Moriah, this three comes and three days is a sign of Jonah given, the three keeps on coming. Okay. And then in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and 23, God says, all that is shadow. Let's look at the substance. May God the peace of himself God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body. So he says, do you know that you are three? Like when I look into the mirror because I am body first, I see my body. But because God is spirit and he's looking from above and speaking, he talks about the spirit first. You're working from inside to outside. We all bathe. <laughs> Get our body, everything nice, everything we put on because body first. Then we read and listen for our soul. But God says that's not how it works with me. With me it's the other way. God is spirit. And everybody who worships him should worship in spirit and truth. No filthiness of spirit and soul completely controlled by truth. Then we look at the body. And then these two works, the body should be blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. So suddenly we look at another three which are there. Spirit, soul and body. Okay? Spirit, soul and body. So we are the temple of God. And we have three parts. So when God is looking at us, he is looking at the spirit first. Okay. And Jesus' first statement in his ministry, when he steps out, after having a good meal at Cana, okay, he goes to Jerusalem. John chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Okay, so that was a shadow, the substance is us. Okay, so there is a temple, there is an outer courts, there is a holy place and there is a most holy place. Most people in the world the most holy place is empty. It's empty. That's why the Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. Dead men walking. Okay. Positionally everybody is a temple. But the holy place is empty. Most holy place is empty. There's no God there. No presence of God there. There's no presence of God there. Okay. 
No Holy Spirit, no presence of God. Because in the most holy place is where the Holy Spirit comes. When you are born again, the most holy place is comes back alive and the presence of God comes into the most holy place. Okay? So God will try to tell this to us in different, different, different ways. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, from which we get all that in the New Covenant, when people ask Jesus questions and answers. 6, 5. You shall love your God with all your heart. He says first there. Heart. With all your and with all your body. But he says it begins with the heart. That's where your spirit is. The core seat of your spirit is the heart. The center. Love God with all your heart. That's your spirit. Center of your spirit. All your soul and all your body. Okay? Please understand this. If you don't get that concept, we will miss out the first primary lesson of faith. When God spoke to Noah about building the ark, the purpose was different. It was for the saving of his family. Simple. Build an ark, get inside, let them go through judgment. But we have looked two days on evening, yesterday and day, uh, yesterday morning, Pastor Vijay and I, we are talking about Moses up in the mountain and the 75 people, all that difference, okay? But when Moses was in the mountain with God, God spoke to Moses in that sixth day, seventh day he spoke. He told Moses to tell Israel to bring an offering. Let's go to Exodus 25. Okay, 25. First we'll read 1 and 2. Then Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Okay. One of the, it's interesting up there, one of the things he tells them is, tell everybody to bring an offering. But I want an offering from their heart. Okay. And, uh, the next verses, that is 3 to 7, we will not go. It's all details of what are the things he wants for an offering. Okay, if you will just look at a couple of them. This is the offering which you shall require for take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, red, fine linen, God's hair. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, that's enough. Okay, there's so many in that. Meaning, you have to hear from God what God wants from you. It's not the same. This is not tithes. What God wants from you so that he can build his temple, he may ask you to give up sacrifice. You have to hear from him. Okay? So let's leave that part also. That's still 8. Verse 8, he will tell you the purpose. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So what does he want this offering for? So that we make a sanctuary that he may dwell among us. So if you know the Israeli story in the wilderness, the sanctuary was absolutely bang in the middle of the camp and on fourth side, three, 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 three tribes. Twelve, sorry, three here, three here, three there. The middle was the sanctuary. And in the middle of the sanctuary was the outer courts, the holy place, and the most holy place was where the Shekinah glory of God actually came from. That's where the glory of God. So it was represented to them as a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. That is where the glory. And God dwelt in their midst. This is the symbolic representation of Israel's life. 
Okay, then from that Exodus 25, 1 onwards, all the way to 31, 18. Is the building of the tabernacle. Everything for the building of the tabernacle. Whole list is given. But if you know your scripture, the first thing God asked Moses to make is the ark. The ark was to be made first, yet that is the last thing that will be kept. We won't do stuff like that. Okay? But God's difference. God is different. The first thing he tells us to make is the ark. Okay? Yet that is the thing that is needed last. Yet that is the first thing that is. Because the presence of God is associated with that. If the tabernacle represents our life. Okay? The most holy place represents our spirit. And the heart represents the ark. Where God's presence will be. And if we do not have the presence of God, then it does not matter what else we have. Okay, and we all know from Corinthians 6.19, you are the temple of God. Let's read that. First Corinthians 6.19 so that we understand what God was trying to teach them. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? That Holy Spirit resides deep there in the spirit, in that primary position. So in everything that we do, God first looks at our heart. Is there a witness of the spirit? And we need to look into our heart to see if there is a witness of the Spirit. The problem is when the witness of the spirit is not there or the spirit is dead, then people get zealous religiously. Very religiously zealous. They may have more zeal than the other fellow, but there is no witness of the spirit. That's why religion turns to murder. That's why Cain murdered his brother. So what happens is, you have to look at the heart. Don't look at other things. Don't look at anything else in our personal lives. Go to the core and look at the witness of the spirit in the heart. And if you read your, uh, if you know your Genesis, uh, Revelation, the uh, seven churches, the first church is actually judged for their heart. Not for their soul. You are absolutely good with your doctrine. You have judged all the false apostles. You have kept it. You are absolutely good with the works of the body. But the problem is with your heart. You have lost your first love. Your soul is good. Your body is good. It's an issue with the heart. The witness of the spirit is gone. I am not first in your affections. Love God with all your heart. You love God with all your soul. I can see that in your doctrinal, how you are handling doctrine. I see that. That's my always fear with GTC. You're so good with doctrine, and you may forget the heart. You're so good with your social work, feeding the poor, everybody. During this season, we have fed the poor to the cops we have fed. All that is good. All that is good. That's not the key in anything that we do. At the end of the day is the witness of the Spirit. Do you love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength? He looks into our heart. Okay? So what happens is when sin and rebellion enters is and continues, the presence of God departs. And if you know... When the ark was taken away, Phineas's wife, I think, gave and said, named her son, 
Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. And in the book of Ezekiel, you will actually see the Spirit of God leaving. And looking back, I mean, it's a heartbreaking scene. I just don't want to go over there. You get sentimental when you go over there. God leaving his people. Once again, looking back from the top of the hill, hoping somebody would see and say, Lord, come back. And then he goes. The next time he comes is when Jesus steps down on earth. He just leaves Israel and goes. Okay. So you have to look at all this, okay, when the presence of God leaves. So God looked at Abel and had respect for him. Regarded at him. Yeah, you look at his heart, you know what? This guy's got me top in his heart. And when he looked at Cain, he saw that he had no regard for him. How many interpretations people have brought, his vegetable was rotten, or all, nothing of that sort. <laughs> nothing, had nothing to do with that. First thing God looked was into the heart. Then the next thing. So if our heart is not right with God, then actually it's irrelevant what we do with God. People will be benefited. So we have to keep on doing because people needs to be taken care of. We have obligation to this society. Don't stop doing what you have to do. Get your heart right and keep doing what you have to do. Okay? So today we will examine our heart or rather allow the word of God and the spirit of God to do a little open heart surgery. Okay? If he needs to put a stent, he will put one. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4 to 5. It's talking about the tabernacle. Okay? Things which we learn from the writer. Writer, the book of Hebrews is an unbelievable book. <laughs> like Romans and Hebrews are like unbelievably mind-boggling books. So we're talking about the most holy place. Okay? Which had the golden censer. That's practically there in the most holy place. Okay? And the Ark of Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which was where the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it was the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. He was saying what it represented, but this is what was there in the most holy place. In the most holy place, there was only one thing. This ark, cherubim overlaid, and inside the ark, covered inside the ark were three things. Two stone tablets, which Moses had brought down, golden pot of manna, and Aaron's rod. If you look in Israel's history, primarily there were two. One was this tabernacle in the wilderness, so much description. And then Solomon's grand temple, and then afterwards the Rubabalanon built. But they were always downcast, because they could remember, oh, Solomon's temple. They never talked about the tabernacle. Okay, They always said, Solomon's this is nothing. And God says, leave it. The glory of the latter house is talking about us. It is the glory of the latter house shall be greater than Solomon's and all this. Okay, so they had always had this temple complex. Not temple complex, a complex about the temple they were building. So there were two temples, two primarily in Israel's history. One was the tabernacle in the Vedlera. That's what he's talking about. The tabernacle which God gave Moses the details. The details which Solomon had was all about the construction of the big temple. But the intricate, intricate details were given to Moses. Solomon's temple was, you have to read it. It's like grand scale, big time. I don't know how many billions he spent on building that. Okay. Okay. Massive, massive, massive. The money he's really, really an artisans, everything, millions built, spent on it. Okay. 
And then final day when everything is done, everything is ready, this huge thing, this huge, massive, expensive, glittering, gold overlaid practically everywhere into the most holy place. That old ark is coming. Old ark is coming. Not even the the angels were of the old one. Yes, I think if I am right, he made this huge cherubim. Then that he fitted in the ark there because even that he wanted. So let us look at how it is brought. Chapter eight, verses three onwards. First Kings chapter eight, three onwards. Incredible Solomon. So all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark. Okay? They brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle, and the priests and the Levites brought them. They're passing through. Okay? Going through. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him, bear him, bear with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Okay? He, what grand scale. Then they brought. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Cherubim is already there. Grand scale gold one. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside and they are there to this day. That is how the ark is set in the most holy place in the grand temple. Now read verse 9. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. Outside unbelievable grandeur. But if you looked into the ark, two things are missing. Two things are missing. The golden pot is gone. Aaron's rod is not gone. So what looks from outside and what looks from inside it's not the same. It's not the same. You know what's happening now? People are building churches which look so great like Solomon's temples. But God doesn't look at all that. He's looking into the core of the church. And he's saying, what is missing? What is missing? This is something which people hardly realize in Solomon's temple. Everybody is going, oh, oh my gosh, my gosh, look at this. Look, But they do not know a hidden something. If this is not revealed, we wouldn't even know. Hardly anybody knows because you cannot even open it or look into it. This is revelation. Who will dare to open the lid and look what is there in the ark? But it is written. It is written. A box is coming of three objects. Only one object is there. Two are missing. What makes this box? Box is these three things. Two are gone. Only one is there. Okay. This is what it means. God looks into us. First, are all the necessary ingredients there? Is there love? Is there faith? Is it by grace? The first thing he looks. Do you love me with all your heart, all your might, all your strength? Do you really trust and believe everything that you have heard about me? Are you accessed in what you are doing? Is it done in my power or not, grace or not? That's what he's looking at. Is it there? And that's how he looks into us. He's not coming to condemn. Okay, don't ever think children are condemned. He's coming to convict. He says, you know what? You can have an incredibly 
grand life or ministry or whatever religious works you can call of it. But at the end of the day, learned from the first man. I looked at him and I had respect for him. You don't need the applause of the people. You don't need the uh, the 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 uh, respect of the people primarily. You need my respect. The man of faith is looking. Does God look at me with respect? Does He regard me with favor? How does He look at me? And this is the issue here. And if you look, even the golden censer is missing. That's also not there. It's not there. Let's go further. Deuteronomy 31 verse 26. 31.20 Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be as a witness against you. That is also missing. Only the ten commandments written in the stone is there. The entire book of Moses is missing. So the rod is missing. The pot of gold of manna is missing. The censer is missing. The book of law is missing. And you have a grand ceremony. And God still was humble and he filled them with his glory. It's a kind God. Sometimes you look at the presence of God and says, God has suffered. God says, no, I'm just showing my kindness. When he hit the rock the second time, he still gave them water because they were thirsty. Though they were rebellious. But we look and search inside, we will realize, my gosh, lot of stuff I was missing. There were supposed to be five things, only one is there. Four out of five. Who, what grade will you give, Pastor Vijay, if you were an engineering student? I would show some mercy to my poor kids. But you? No! Twenty out of hundred. Obviously, see, it doesn't matter to God first how we look outside. Honestly, we are just moving from one room to another room and we dress. We are dressing for the people. We are not dressing for God. <laughs> because we are on camera and we know it's going everywhere. So for the same, we should not distract by wearing something which is, you know, how can a man of God dress like that and come and preach? He looks as if he just like woke up and got up and came or something like we say in English, the cat brought in on a wet night. Okay, not like that. But actually, God does not look at the outside first. He looks at the inside. So everybody was talking to us. I says, the people say, oh, Solomon. Forget about Solomon's temple and its glory. He says, I'm building something. He have no clue. The glory of that house, there will be no comparison. A set of people who will be blameless in my sight, in spirit, soul and body. Absolutely. Three levels. Unmatchable glory that house will have. So let us come to our heart. Okay, We'll take the lens and go into our heart. Now let us come to our heart, that is the ark. Okay? If you go to Exodus chapter 25 and verse 17, quickly we'll go one, 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 not the whole chapter, but certain verses I will say. 25, 17. Ta- you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. 23. You shall make a table of acacia wood. 31. 31. 25, 31. 
You shall make a stamp land of pure gold. 26 one. Then next is 27 one. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains. Then 27 nine. And 27, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, then 27.9. Just quickly. You shall make, yeah, 27.9. You shall also make the coat of the tabernacle. Okay? Now we go to the beginning again. 25.10. We read from 25.17. 25.10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Now it's talking about the ark. What's the difference between this instruction and all the other instructions? We read seven or eight or plenty other. Huh? Yes, good. Good Zavi. Good job, Zavi. You shall. And what is here? They shall. Your heart is always defined by others. They make your heart. You don't make your heart. God will send all kinds of people into your heart to shape your heart in the image of the heart of his son. It's never shaped by you. Everything else you can make. Not your heart will break your heart, will crush your heart using the people around you. will send that kind of people into your life because they shall make your heart. You are not defined by your friends. You are defined by your enemies. Joseph became Joseph because of his enemies. David became David because of his enemies. You shall make, 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 but they shall make your heart. Understand principles in the Bible. That's where God sits. And the place where God sits in your life is made by others. It's not made by you. They will decide your heart. And if you look at Another portion there, there's one more thing where it is written, they. It is Aaron's garments. Your works of righteousness, your garments, is actually your character is also determined by others, not by you. It's interesting when you read the whole picture, they and you. You is written with everything and they is written only with two things. One is the ark, the other is the garments. And you look into the scripture and understand spiritually that is the shadow, that is the substance. My heart is decided by others. That's why you cannot be a hermit and become a man of God. It's impossible. It's not possible. That's what C.S. Lewis says. The only place where your heart is secure is in hell. It's hell. Untouched by anything. Unbroken, untouched by everything. And if you look in order of all the things that I was given, 13, the maximum number of verses, 13 verses is given to the ark. Because our heart is the most important part of our salvation. Salvation begins there. With your heart, you believe. They went away, they went astray because they are in their heart their heart. You go astray first in your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Out of it proceeds the issues. That is why if you look at the salvation prophesied in the old covenant, Ezekiel 36 
and uh, 26, 36, 26, salvation, new covenant salvation in the Old Testament. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit there. The new spirit will not sit on that old heart. It is disputeful beyond imagination. The Holy Spirit requires a new heart. Okay? So God will test our heart, our outward actions, however good they are, secondary. And God will, ultimately our heart will be revealed. That's what happened in Lazarus' house when Jesus came. Martha's heart was revealed. Though the work she's doing is fantastic. She's cooking for the Lord, the disciples and the guests. But the heart was revealed. And they looked at her and said, you know what? Martha, Martha, you got one issue. Your heart is troubled by too many things. She's chosen the one thing. She has rest in her heart. Rest. She's sitting at my feet. She's at rest. Her heart is at rest. So let not our lives be like Solomon's temple. Lot of things missing. That's why God said they shall make the ark your heart. That's why God has commanded about the heart. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength and as important as the first commandment is the second one. What is that? Almost close. Love your Ah, that's a matter of the heart. And unless we put God first <coughs> in our heart, the work of God has not even started in our life. Saved yet, rest is unstarted. There is an old, old Malayalam cinema song, black and white. See, working and working and working, unfinished house. Never finishes. You know why? Because the first thing is not right. What is the first thing? Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will. It's all, all matter of first. So our first test is our heart towards God. That's why God had regard for Abel. He looked at Abel at his heart and scripture says by faith. If faith is real, faith comes from hearing. Hearing from word of God. So he heard from God and he put God first. See in everything there is a way of God and other ways. The minute you put the way of God, you put God first. And the way of God usually never agrees with any other way. Because the nature of the way of God, because it is truth, is exclusive. Doesn't make it, like the cross is foolishness to everybody except those who are saved. So please look into the word of God and you will always realize, God first looks into the heart. You have 12 chapters of Daniel, all about eschatology, 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 dreams, visions, empires falling, empires rising and all. But the entire book of Daniel begins with one verse. Daniel 1 verse 8. Daniel purposed 
in his heart. Take that verse, there is no book of Bible. No book of Daniel in the Bible. It won't come. There will be no book Daniel book of Daniel in the Bible. It won't be there. No eschatology, no revelation, nothing. Everything started because a young teenager, a slave in Babylon, decided to put God first. He purposed in his heart. A simple thing, I'll put. That was the only thing he could buy. Everything else was out of his control. It was a buffet over there. He looked at the buffet and he said, chicken hay, mutton hay, biryani, sab kuch hai, along with vegetable soup and rice is there. And he said, okay, I will have that. But he says, we have to feed because our body matters to the king. So he said, sir, can I please have this? He had no choice over anything. Absolutely no choice on anything else. What he reads, how he wears, his name has been taken, his everything has been taken away. But then he looked at the table, there were so many things over there, meaning you could still have some choice in this. But the soup was only meant to be what? Appetizer. That was the main course. And he said, you know what? Let me ask him. That God saw his heart and saw that he had favor with the eunuch. He saw his heart. Why did he want to do that? To put God first. Lord, I cannot put you first in anything, Lord, here. But one thing, I can use my little free will. And God started moving. And after that, we have everything written in the book of Daniel. In First Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, when King Saul goofs up and he's so mad, Samuel is so mad, this is much earlier, okay, much, much earlier. This is not a Amalekite king and all that battle is much earlier. Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And God has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what God commanded you. You know what? First Samuel chapter 13, 14, 13, the beginning is that Saul ruled for three years and after three years he... Yeah. Now we don't know the actual construction of that sentence, but if this was happening in his third year, that means he ruled for another 37 years. I don't even know whether David was born then, but God already had seen a man after his own heart. He saw his heart even before he was born, or he must have been a little boy, but already he sees his heart. That is where we have the history of David. David is mentioned only in chapter 16. How many years later? How many battles later? David comes into the picture. We don't even know the name of that man. God already knows the man. And what is the key? Key was his heart. So we are building a new covenant tabernacle of the Lord. Don't be fooled by glamour. Don't be fooled by how many followers on YouTube. Or anything. Thank God. But that's irrelevant. The thing is, are we after God? His presence. Because the ark was in the holy of holies. And the mercy seat was there. In Exodus 25, 22, he had said something. There I will meet with you. There's only one place he promised Moses that he would miss me. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. I will meet you there and I will speak to you there. Okay. So that's why this heart is so important. The spirit part, the heart part of the spirit is so important because that's where God meets us and that's where he speaks to us. And if the voice has ceased in that part of our life, then better cease everything else during this period until it comes back. Don't do one more religious work. On the other hand, God will do 
everything to clean you and me, our heart out. That is the seat of his spirit. In Numbers 90 and verse 12, Moses, right? 90-12. Oh, sorry, not Numbers. Uh, Psalm 90 and verse 12. Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What is he saying is that it doesn't, it is irrelevant how long or how short you live. That's basically what it means in this context. The whole thing is that, how is your heart? How is your heart? You could live for 27, 25, 28 years and receive the heart of God and died and fulfill God's purpose. You could live for 90 years and never got that heart, that wisdom of God, understood God looks into the heart first. Lived a long life. He says, number your days. You all have only a certain number of days. And the thing is that we have to realize where does God look first? Are our hearts empty? This is good. Because if you looked into the ark, the ark was practically empty. There was nothing else in the ark except these three things. There's nothing there. The ark was empty except with three things. That is connected with God. So God says, if your heart is empty and only I am, that is perfectly fine. That's the way I want it. That's why, remember, in our marriages we say, give your wife your hand. Do not give your wife your heart. Solomon gave his heart to his wives. Do you ever hear, even though David had many wives and many concubines, that he gave his heart to any one of them? No. So he could always come back and go with God. Saul was another character. He never gave his heart to his wife or wife or to God. He kept his heart for himself and built a monument to himself. So there were three different kings, okay, over there. All had case studies. So, is our hearts empty or only filled with God? Rambabad God told Moses in Exodus 25 verse 16 about the ark. 16, 1-6. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. And it was God's testimony. And it was after that was put in the name change, it became the ark of the testimony. And the whale became the whale of the testimony. Everything changed with the testimony. Till then it's just an empty box. It's got no relevance. You can have all the stuff, all the angels sitting, all that is irrelevant until that testimony is put in there. And it was the testimony of God. Testimony of God. Okay. In nutshell, someday we will look at it in detail. There were three things kept in the ark. One was the two tablets of stone. And what does the law reveal? God is holy. God is perfect. That is the Father. Then you have a golden pot of manna. Every day manna came. Eat it. Don't keep it. Eat it. Don't keep it. If you kept it, it went bad. But only one set of manna never went bad. 
it was a manna kept in the golden pot in the ark of testimony it never went bad and jesus said i am the manna that has come from heaven the golden pot signifies the purity of his life and the word that has become living he says when my word becomes living in you it never goes bad it's life the golden pot of manna represents jesus christ all these tribal leaders started fighting about leadership and god said don't worry i will show them all of them have their rod right their staff bring it and keep it before the testimony errands also let it be there next day morning come it and look so next morning they come everybody's rod is lying over there errands rod has blossomed budded with fruit okay what is that represents the holy spirit i was a dead rod a dead man walking put before god's testimony when the holy spirit came life and fruit to the glory of god so the ark had three things what is that the law the golden life of jesus christ the power of the holy spirit what is missing jesus and the power of the holy spirit is missing only thing that you have is the law and the law kills it's missing but glamour is there it's gone that is the testimony of god in the ark it's missing okay so when you're talking about faith god is looking into your heart heart when you're looking into your heart there has to be a perfect balance perfect the balance should be like jesus because abel is coming and offering a sacrifice god looks at him looks at his sacrifice he had respect for abel and for his sacrifice and he receives it first thing john chapter 2 verses 13 to 17 when god looks into our heart the passover of the jews was a hand jesus went to the temple he found the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business he made a cord yeah go further When he made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the table. He said to those who sold the doves, "Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise." And his disciples remembered it was written, "Zeal for your house has eaten me up." So one of the first things when God looks into a heart, He sees, "Do you have zeal? Do you have zeal?" for the temple the whole temple is there your heart is where god do you have zeal in your heart for my for my house how zealous are you that's what you've been hearing in the mornings phineas zeal it's all for god's heart cleansing out zeal do we have zeal for his house but you have to be very very careful when you are zealous because there is a balance which is found only in jesus christ if you turn to matthew chapter 9 and verse 13 and you will see that in his prophets in the old go and learn what this means i desire mercy not sacrifice zeal and mercy that's a balance incredible zeal for the house of god unbelievable mercy zeal will demand justice mercy will demand forgiveness how do you balance this and there was no man who walked on earth who was more zealous than jesus yet there was no man who walked on earth who was more merciful than him and god says when i look into your hearts does he see both zeal and mercy 
right? And the top of the ark was the mercy seat. And what the priest had to do was kill a bull, take the blood for he and his household, sprinkle seven times. Then take the goat, kill the goat, take the blood and sprinkle it seven times for the people. He had to demand mercy for he and his household and for the people. It seems like for him and his household he needed a bigger animal, the bull. And he could go there only once a year. He was very zealous when he went in. Because you to kill a goat and the bull and all, you are very zealous. You are taking life because you are zealous for God. But when you go in there, you are actually appealing for mercy. That was Abel. These were the firstborn of his flocks. When he heard from God... He was very zealous. He did not let the kindness and the compassion for his sheep, the firstborn, little little cute little things, stop him from killing it. He was zealous for the Lord. But when God looked into his heart, when he came in with blood, he was not coming based on his zeal. He was asking, Lord, have mercy on me. That's what God looked now that's what, when we go back to our rooms after preaching, we look into our hearts, Lord, I was zealous for you, but I was also pleading for your people. At the end of the day, when we go out, Lord, that's why Paul says, first, I preach to you, Lord, first. I need to have zeal for the Lord, consumed that man. Yet that man will say, I wish my name, if it was possible, my name taken out and theirs. Moses had zeal for God. Who is for the Lord? And then he had incredible mercy. Lord, take their name in and take my name out. And you know, it starts with Abel. The first man in the Bible, when God looks into his heart, he saw incredible zeal for God to be able to kill first time. And yet have incredible appealing only on God's mercy. He did not go based on zeal. He went based on the blood. And it that it was when God looked at the blood, which represented the blood of his son, he was pleased and he extended mercy. Are you getting it? That's the picture in the Bible. That is when the ordinance is passed in Leviticus 17. Remember later when the law is given. 17 verses 10 and 12. Whatever man of the house of Israel of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood. Nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. If you go to verse 11, what is the reason? The life of the creature is in the blood. And I have given what? Blood for atonement. Why did he give blood for atonement? Because life is only in the blood. 
There's nothing else in your body which has blood on its own except blood. Wherever the blood flows, life flows. And blood is, life is in the blood. When they, he said, when you, if you sin, you shall die. What does that mean? Loss of? And the entire universe, our universe, there's only one thing which has life, which can replace the death we lost. That was temporarily. What is that? Blood. And he said, you shall offer it. And that's why till today, you know, all the Muslim brethren are meeting, you do not understand what halal means. This is the reason. Because the life is in the blood. But this was only a shadow. This is temporary. Every year and over and over and over and over they had to do it. But basically God was looking into the substance. This was the blood of his son. In his blood is life. Eternal life. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. What is he saying? When they were doing it, when Abel started it, and later when I made the law, what was happening? It was representing my son. His blood and his body, his life, that is the only life that is acceptable. No other life is acceptable. No other life is acceptable. No. So we need to realize in every one of our offerings, we go appealing to the mercy of God. Nothing else, the mercy of God. So that's where Abel comes. Now do we understand the principle? God is pleased only with the life of his son. Nobody else's life. That is the only life perfect. Able by faith. He brought fat portions and in that there was blood. The body and the blood and came to God. God looked at his heart and so he was seeking mercy and not approval. Cain was seeking approval of his works and not mercy. And no man can boast before God of his works. You are saved by grace and grace alone. If you have to be saved by grace in any situation, the only thing we can appeal is appeal to God's mercy. So the question is, when we go before God, Abel is teaching us, what are we seeking? What are we seeking? Approval or mercy? Hebrews 4.16 Therefore come boldly to the throne room of grace. How? Through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. It's made a living way by faith. We go through that. That you may... Obtain? Mercy. mercy. First is mercy. We only go through that doorway first appealing for mercy. Appealing for mercy. And not for grace first. Mercy. It's mercy. That's what Abel teaches us. It's not declaring our righteousness before God as they teach you. No, Lord. Your son is righteous. But I have goofed up in so many areas still. I'm still coming to you about the things I know and I don't know. And you know so much that I don't know. And I'm coming to you first 
appealing for mercy. Have mercy, 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 Lord. Because you are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. We getting the picture? So on the day when Israel came to the mountain, Mount Sinai, after three months, roughly or more, in Exodus 19, 26, This is what God's desire for them was. 1926, Exodus 19.26 You shall be for me. Exodus, Exodus. Where are you going? Nine, oh, 19.6, not 26. 6.6.6, I got it. I'm not a mathematician, so it gets my digits wrong. Which will get his digits on this thing. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is other words you shall speak. You getting it? This was his desire for all of them. Twelve tribes. You shall be for me a kingdom of every one of you. Serve me. You shall be my priests. shall be my priests. We look further and you realize how they all would have been priests. Everybody's firstborn would have been a priest. Every tribe. Every family. So they would have been actually a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of priests. Yet, you know the day when the law came in? They were having an orgy downstairs. A lot is going on around the calf. Dancing, naked, all gone crazy. Moses comes down with Joshua and this is what he says. The zeal of the Lord. Exodus 32 verses 26 to 29. Zeal of the Lord takes over now. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Because God was looking. Twelve tribes are there. He's looking into everybody's heart. And Moses is speaking. Whoever is on the side of the Lord, come. Eleven tribes didn't move. Judah didn't move. Reuben didn't move. Nobody moved. All the way down. Only Levi moved. Levi moved and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Oh, let every man put his sword on his side, go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that. This is what I think. They were drunk, they were naked, lying all over there and they went dead. Kill them. That's what they did. They had an orgy, they all get like, keeps happening all in the western nations, all drunk, all high on drugs or whatever they had. Like now, all this thing over there and they were lying over there and they went in. And all those who were exposed, naked, lying over there, they killed them. And all the others watch. And some of the people they kill were their own. They're all related anyway. Flesh and blood. So what happened in 196? The zeal of the Lord caused them to kill their flesh and blood. That's what Jesus looks at. And spiritually he looks at and says, If any man loves his father or mother or wife or children more than me, you cannot be my disciple. It's not possible. You need to have that zeal for me where you put me first. That day, Moses said, consecrate yourself to the Lord today. 
that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. What was the blessing they got? The Levitical priesthood began. What was meant for twelve went to one tribe. From that day there is a division between eleven tribes and one tribe. If you had to go to God, you had to go to God through these people. Simple, simple meaning. You want to approach God, you cannot approach God without zeal. You need to be zealous for the Lord. So the first thing Jesus shows in his ministry is his zeal for God. That's why the first church, Ephesus, God says, you have lost your first love. To the last church, he said, you have lost your zeal. You are neither hot nor cold. Get hot or get out. That's the actual title of the letter to the church in Laodicea. Get hot or get out. I don't want people without zeal in my house. And that's what happens. What did God choose them for? Why did God choose them? Because of their? Now listen carefully, okay? Young kids, I'm sure you never thought it that way. He chose them, the Levites were chosen as his priests because they were so zealous for their Lord that they opposed their own flesh and blood and killed 3,000 of their own people. For what? For all of the generation to appeal for mercy. The zeal of the Lord caused them to kill. After that, what are they going to do all their life? Appeal for mercy for their brothers. Zeal and mercy. I saw your zeal. Now the rest of your life you will appeal for mercy. That is ministry. That is ministry. I've seen your zeal. I've seen your zeal for me. Now, this is what you will do. Your every message is basically appealing to my ministry to change the hearts of people. Zeal and mercy. The balance. That's what God looks into the heart. And that's what he looks, sees into Abel. This man is a shepherd. Who can't pluck an apple? It breaks your heart. I mean, Pastor Vijay won't know it because I am a boy who grew up with pets, all kinds of pets. I had miners, I had sparrows, I had a monkey, I had all kinds of dogs. I grew up in the, in the mountains. And I know every time a sparrow cried, I wept. And my mom gave me a little box. I went and buried as a Catholic, made a cross and also put it. But I cried. Every time, even the chickens which I was supposed to take care of when they died, when they were killed and eaten, I was in problem. But when they died, I cried. My dogs, I loved them. How many dogs I had, starting with a Himalayan sheepdog. Big one, big black one. I could, when I was four years old, I used to sit on its back and that fellow used to take me. But when we were transferred from one place to another and because there was a huge river, we couldn't take it. So my father said he will come back after six months or eight months and take it. But by the time he came back, the dog never ate a f- any meal. He sat there near our old quarters and he died. So I loved animals. How much more does a shepherd love his lamb? But the zeal for the Lord caused him to kill them. But he's not going with his zeal. He's appealing for mercy. He's appealing for mercy. And God says, this is the balance you need to understand. That is why this faith is so important. The shadow is in the Old Testament. And the substance is in the new covenant. And all this is a picture of Jesus Christ. This is the spirit of Jesus living through these people. That's what faith happens. When faith happens, like Paul says, I no longer 
love. So the picture of Jesus Christ is transformed through all this way we get. Abel worshipped God by faith. A shepherd killed his lamb. And God will kill his own son for our sake. In his zeal for us, he killed his son and is appealing for mercy for our sake. Enoch will walk with God. It's God walking. Noah building an ark. It's God building the church. Specifically, how do you build a church? With godly fear. And keeping to God's specification, you have to hear every day. One plank is ready and done, pitch is done, and you have to hear. No, go back and check. Go back and check. That's not right. You may think it is right, but you have no clue the nature of the judgment that is coming. All it is take is one leak. And you're going to be in the water for six months over a year. That one leak will kill you. Will kill you. You lose something. So he had to keep on hearing, 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 hearing. That's how we build the ark. The walk of faith. The work of faith. And everything comes from hearing. And how do you hear? Keep telling you. You hear with your heart. You don't hear with your ears. You hear clearly with your heart. When your heart is pure and cleansed by God, it's very easy to hear. Even a whisper, you'll be able to hear. Be able to hear. Very easy to hear. Because you don't hear with your ears. You hear with your heart. He's seated over there and the Holy Spirit says, No. Lord, are you happy with my ministry today? No. But people were all encouraged. Are you happy with that? No, Lord. Do you want to know why? Yes, Lord. Remember that one line? Yes, Lord. I didn't like your tone. Why, Lord? Because I'm supposed to be speaking through you, right? Yeah. I don't use that tone. It's my life or your life. You asked me a question whether I was pleased. I'm giving you an answer. Most people don't ask questions because <laughs> they don't want the answers. That is what we hear about David, right? You heard about cutting the edge of Saul's robe and that man becomes a hardened man and again becomes sensitive. It's all got to do with the heart. That's a funny thing, right? God picked them for their zeal and used them for his mercy. Let's stop there. Because if you go further, we'll go into the next part of it, that he brought the firstborn. Firstborn. Right? He brought the firstborn. It's an entire sermon on itself. What does it mean? He didn't bring a second one. If you read, let's go there, Genesis chapter 4. So that we touch it and go for close for. Abel also brought off the firstborn of his flock. Just not the second born or the third born. Because the only born you can offer by faith is the first born. You cannot offer the second one by faith. By then sight has come in. You got two. You're giving one to God. You already got two. You can't give this. Once you have the second one, you give one, you already said, okay, thank you, Lord, you take this. You want the first one or the second one, you can take. But I have one, you have one. 
But when you're given the firstborn, you have no clue whether you're going to have a secondborn or not. So you haven't put God first. The only, that's, that's the whole problem with tithes. The whole problem with tithes, people tithe, 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 but never get blessed. The reason is they don't give the first part, they give the last part. Especially now quarantine has come. And they're worried. They're worried. Because the only the first part you can give by faith, you cannot give after that by faith. Because you already calculated all your expenses, paid everybody, including the landlord. Your landlord has become king, God, because you paid him first. Whoever you pay first is your God. Even if Sunday comes only on the seventh day, you put that aside and then take care of because you are saying, Lord, I don't care what how much pressure I am in. I know one thing, you come first. You come first. We turn to Numbers chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. In Israel's history, you know the firstborn law of Israel. Every firstborn of animal to God. Three. Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn. Did you know the law has changed? Sir, I don't want a firstborn of everybody. Can keep all your sons. Reuben, you can keep your son. Simeon, you can keep your son. I don't want them. Judah, you can also keep your son. All of you can keep your son. I want the firstborn of every Levite. Change the law. Into the firstborn who opens. Yeah. Meaning the, the Levites replaced all the firstborn. That's the difference. What you are saying is that if Levite had five sons, all five were gods. And the Benjamin, the, let us say that Judah had one son. I don't want your son. Even if you offer to me, you can take it back. I only want the Levites. That is how it became. But that was not how it was originally given. The originally given was that every firstborn is separated to God. But he changed that rule also. Because of one tribe's zeal. And the Levites became the priests. Zeal, mercy, put God first. The new covenant, God comes and changes it all and says, Priesthood has changed. My firstborn is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. And under him, you are all priests. And we love it. We are a royal. Royal because he is king. Priesthood because he is priest. And God says, do you have zeal? Do you have mercy? Do you put me first? These are three things my son did. My son did this consistently in his life. He put me first. He had zeal for God. And he had. And he will. First time he opens his mouth. You will see his zeal. Son what have you done? Dad and I were looking for you three days. Am I not in my father's house? Attending to my father's business? Twelve year old. Listening. And asking questions. Zealous for God's work. Zealous for God's word. Zealous for God's house. And the parents are looking for him. That's how he's first shown. Okay. Didn't he know his parents would be upset? Of course. Then why didn't he go? Because my father would be upset. Father would be upset if I go. 
And if I don't go, my earthly parents would be upset. Let them, everybody know, from day one you see me, I put my God first. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 9? Behold in the volume of the book, it is written about in me, I have come to do your will, oh God. Your will. Your will. That is the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in, hallowed be. Are you zealous? God is saying, first thing, I am your father. Yes, I am your father. You call me father, I call you son. How do you handle my name? Are you zealous for my name? Zealous for my name? Let's go to Genesis 37. Go from verse 1. Now Jacob dealt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Jacob's history. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them. to. That's enough. Verse 2 is enough. Bad report of them to his. So what is the first introduction of Joseph? He was zealous for his father's nom, though he's the youngest. That's how it's introduced. So his elder brothers are messing his father's name. We don't know what they are doing. They are all crooked guys. Every one of them. Violent, immoral, crooked, lying crooks they all are. And he's the youngest. Benjamin is small. He's not going anywhere. So Joseph is there with these elder brothers. And the first thing you hear about Joseph is he is zealous for his father's name. That's how, that's why, like I keep saying, 37 to 50 is the record of Joseph, except for one chapter. It's all about Joseph. Okay, zealous. And that's where it begins. God says, are you zealous for me? I am your father. Jacob was Joseph's father. He had other brothers. They were not zealous for their father at all. They were, did not hallow his name. They did not consider their father's name worth nothing. But this young boy was there. And I'm watching, I'm watching everybody. He's watching everybody. He's watching Cain, he's watching Abel, he's watching David, he's watching Joseph, he's watching Daniel, he's watching all. The scripture says, no, his eyes range back and for one whose heart is and stayed on him is in different ways. You may not really, really know God as God who has never spoken to you, but you have known God and his principles through your godly father. And Joseph had known. And all around him is only bad influence. Samuel was surrounded by bad influence right in the temple. It didn't make any difference to him because his heart was stayed on God. So he always was zealous for God's name. As a little boy, like now we have so many rooms over here. One room here, one room there, one room there. And everybody sleeps in different places. But imagine if this was the ark. This was the ark. A little boy is given a choice. Go sleep. Where does he go and sleep? To the ark. And God speaks Samuel. Choose. Even in a place, choice of his sleep, he chose to sleep close to what is connected with God. He has never seen inside the ark. He doesn't know what is in the ark. He has no clue about any of these things. Only thing he knows, this is around which everything is going around here. So let me sleep near it. I've been given a choice. And people are making choices even when the messages are going on. They're making choices. And we don't realize, we will never know. Who heard, who didn't heard, how you heard, whether you heard. We don't know. But we don't realize there is this unseen realm that is watching. God is watching 
enemy is watching. They both are watching. And God sees, and God says, you know what? You are zealous for me. You're putting me first. I want you also to have mercy. Do not be like the Pharisee, outwardly putting him first. But inwardly they were never putting him first. Outwardly they were first. Outwardly. That's why he was talking about, you are, you are what? What did he say you are? Whitewashed? But inside you are? Dead man's bones. You know the, you know the, you know the, why the Old Testament gives one little picture to show that this is, this is a picture, actually a picture to teach a truth. These Pharisees were all walking around representing God on earth, but God says, I'm not fooled by your heart. I know your heart. You're rotten inside. I know your heart, you're rotten inside. And he uses an illustration. He says, you're whitewashed graves. Nice, marble, black and all. But inside what are you? Dead man's bones. But do you know about a dead man called Elisha who was buried? And what happened if a dead man was put on his bones? He stood up. Because his bones were not rotten. There's an anointing resting on the bones. An anointing resting on his bones. He was not only whitewashed outside, he was absolutely pure inside. And the anointing was still resting upon him. God gives us all these pictures. You are zealous for God. Yes, you are zealous for your father. Ready. Now your test is going to begin, Joseph. We will see whether you will pass the test of mercy. Father will call him and said, son, here I am. Your brothers are so far away. Those guys don't even talk to me. They hate me. Aren't there so many servants in this house? No questions asked. Yes, dad. Will you go check it out? Where are the dad? Seashore. But aren't that, the, isn't that place where they all hate us? Isn't that where my brothers killed all those people? Aren't they so hostile? No questions asked. Brothers hate me. They don't love me. They don't talk to me. The people are hostile. No question asked. Daddy, what do you want to do? You're concerned about my brothers? I will go, daddy. You're zealous for your father's name without hating your brothers. Without hating your brothers. That's the balance. And you want to extend mercy to them. And his test will begin. That's how a child starts becoming a young man. Childhood is over. That's why we are not introduced to Joseph before the age of 17. It is hidden. He has overcome that stage. We are introduced to him spiritually as a young man who has overcome. The word of God lives in him. He is strong. He is defeating the enemy. Okay, you have zealous. Don't show mercy. Shut up. I don't want to hear you. I will show mercy. He's become a young man. He's on a journey now. And God can start. And he will tell Joseph for the next 13 years, son, your heart is going to be crushed. It's going to be powdered by people around you. And then you will realize, one day you will stand before a king. The king will look straight at you and say, you know what? The spirit of your God speaks through you. And everywhere you go, they will know your God is with you. Because I'm framing you through your enemies. And how you react inside. I look at your heart. I look at your heart. And I will see that. Whether you will fulfill the dream that I gave you. I have spoken over you. You are called to reign. He has spoken over all of us. He who overcomes. 
as I overcame and sat on my father's throne, will sit with me. He who overcomes inherits all. I have already spoken over you. Now you're on the road. And the issue is the heart. He looks first at the heart. Then he looks at the works. First at the heart. That's what he's given us. His incredible, I, I believe it's an incredible opportunity he has given. I don't believe, I don't know. I don't think, humanly speaking, an opportunity like this will come to believers where they are shut down. Because I believe the next one, the calamity that will be, will be, will be violence, will be war and uh, uh, riots and stuff like that. Then this peace won't be there. Internet will be cut off first thing. <laughs> first thing they will cut off is the net. Right now we are on a, like a, we are very happy because we have 24-7 power, 24-7 high-speed internet. Everybody has got it. Everybody, we have all formats. You can listen to on the net. You can listen to on radio. We are on podcast. We are on YouTube. We are on Facebook. Whatever you want to. And you can spend your time with God. What you have heard, search, prepare, get ready. It's all there. Next time, I don't think the world will ever, ever get a chance like this. Even my kids who are in far off countries where 4G itself is very slow and very, 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 very expensive. They are tickled pink by the, by the radio format. Even now while I'm preaching, they send me, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm listening. Because it doesn't take any data. So from the lowest segment of internet speed data to the highest 108, whatever, 1080, we have given two seconds. You want to see me with clarity where even I didn't know I had so many pimples on my face. No, You can see or you can listen. But all format, one extreme to the other extreme. It's not to see. It's basically to watch, to hear. Faith comes from here. So that we come through this process. Today is day 11 and the last day of the month. So the question God asks is, God looked at Abel. God looked at Cain. And he looked with respect at Abel. God looks at us today. Does he look at with respect? Does he look at us with regard after 11 days? Does he look at us with favor? Or he says, leave Cain's response aside. Our response is the only thing matters. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord. 6,000 years ago, if Abel could come to you with zeal and yet appeal for mercy. And he looked at this young man and you looked at him with respect. You looked at him with regard. You looked at him with favor. That's why even though he's dead, he still speaks. Abel is dead. But the life of Christ in him still speaks. Because Christ never dies. He is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is on the throne. Yet he lives through every man, woman and child who lives by faith. And we've been hearing about faith of God. And I pray as we hear your spirit would work in the ways in which only you can do, Spirit of God, in all of our lives. That you sit only in one place. That's in our heart. Let our hearts be empty, like the ark, except with the things of God. 
Solomon's temple had such a great grandeur. Nobody hardly knew the ark was empty. Out of five objects, only one was there in the most holy place. We don't want to build anything fanciful, Lord. For our hearts are empty of you. The tabernacle Moses built looked very ordinary from outside. Just skin, made of skins of animals. Very, very ordinary. But in the most holy place, there was the Shekinah glory of God. The manna did not go bad there. Aaron's red rod blossomed. The two tablets of stone with the law was there. The book of Moses was there. And from the censer smoke arose 24-7. And our prayer is, Lord, when you look into us, you may find the truth of God in us. That prayer is always rising because you said to the people of the Spirit, pray without ceasing. And the word of God is alive and not dead. It's not gone stale. And the Holy Spirit is moving within, bringing forth more life and more fruit. And yet, there is this hunger and thirst for the righteousness and the holiness of God imprinted deep within. The cry in heavens is reflected in the deepest part of our heart. Holy, holy, holy is my God. I pray, Father. I pray, Father. Through all this, a church will emerge. A church upon whom you will look with regard, with respect, with favor. That's my prayer as your servant. All around the world, everywhere your people are listening, especially our own pastors who are listening. A church will arise, shepherds will arise, upon whom God will look with favor. That's all we need. That's all we need, Lord. You looked with Abel, with favor. Till today he speaks. You looked with at Noah, with favor. He saved his family. The favor of God. The respect of God. The regard of God. Help us to be servants like Paul, Lord, who preached unto you because he wanted your favor even in his sermons. He said, if not, I am not a servant of Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us. When the little ones who are hearing our little children in our homes, the Abigails and the Joannas and the Saras and the Kritikas, every little one who is hearing, Father, even little Josh, oh, Father, let our children grow up like Samuel grew up, zealous for the Lord, yet extending mercy. Zealous. Little children grow up. Our teenagers become like Joseph, zealous for the Father's name. Like Daniel, jealous. 
they would purpose in their hearts. Touch us during this season, Lord. Touch us. Purify us. Purify us. Cleanse us. Sanctify us. Every one of us. Let our hearts be occupied with you and you alone. Like Mary and not occupied with other things. Our mind may have many other things we need, but our hearts, only one thing, empty except with the presence of God. Nothing else. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I thank you for these days. We plead for mercy. Do this pandemic. So the word of God will go and break even the hardest hearts. And to your people, I pray, a refined, triumphant church will arise. But have mercy, Lord. Mercy, 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 mercy. It's all we can appeal. Mercy that we find grace in the hour of need. Mercy, mercy, Lord, mercy. And by faith, we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we declare, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.